Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Word of God for our special meditation this morning is found in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 32. Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? This is the word of the Lord. Dear fellow worshipers of the newborn king, imagine, if you will, a small family of limited means. Actually, it's more like what's left of a family. There were originally two parents and two children, but the older son left home when he was 19 and never returned, never even called or sent a letter. And the mother died two years ago, officially of cancer, but perhaps just as much of heartbreak. And now it's just the father and the remaining daughter, who recently turned 22 and has been struggling to work a full-time retail job and go to community college at the same time. Not struggling just because of the time and effort, but also struggling because she has to rely on the bus to get everywhere, and that doesn't always work out. And this year, starting in the fall and really ramping up after Thanksgiving, the father starts dropping hints and then outright telling his daughter that she should expect something big for Christmas. He doesn't give details, but he tells her her life will be better once Christmas comes. At first, she kind of brushes it off, but, but he keeps at it, and eventually she finds herself really looking forward to seeing what was under the Christmas tree for her and beginning to hope for whatever that better life will be once she opens whatever that present might be. So imagine her feelings when she comes down early Christmas morning and looks under the Christmas tree and sees the two presents that she wrapped to give to her father, and nothing for her except a small box about the size of a deck of cards. They don't even make cell phones that size anymore, she thinks. What, did he find a deal on a ten-year-old iPod shuffle or something? She is not just disappointed. She is resentful, even ashamed of herself for getting her hopes up and actually believing her dad would get her something life-changing when he hardly made enough money to keep food on the table and a, a roof over their heads. But she decides to put on a happy face. And when her father gets up, she greets him with a, a hearty Merry Christmas, and his smile is from ear to ear. He's so excited, he barely allows her time for some wake-up coffee before opening presents. And though she tries to insist that he open one of hers first, he won't listen. He picks up the tiny box from under the tree and puts it in her hand, grinning all the time. She hesitates. She decides that she needs a moment to find the strength to pretend to be excited over whatever it is so his feelings won't be hurt. Then she slowly pulls back the wrapping paper, 
opens the box, which rattles just a bit, and finds a set of car keys. The fancy kind, (laughs) with an electronic key fob and everything. And suddenly she's not pretending anymore. Her heart skips a beat, but (laughs) she starts, but, but, but what are these for, Dad? For your new car, honey. He can hardly contain his own joy. Take a look in the driveway. She goes to the window and sees it. She can hardly believe that he was listening when when she had casually mentioned months ago what, what model and color car she'd always dreamed of, but that was exactly what was now parked outside the house. She turns back from the window, tears forming in her eyes, and and gives him the, the happiest hug she's given anyone since she was ten. And after a minute, though, she she pulls back and, and looks at him with a, a wondering concern in her eyes. But Dad, how could you afford this? Can we afford this? I don't want to get a new car only to lose our house or go hungry. But he just smiles back at her. Take another look in the driveway. She does. And now she notices what isn't there. The weathered gray car cover is nowhere to be seen, and neither is what used to be under it. Her father's pride and joy. A vintage 1968 Ford Mustang that he'd owned for 40 years and kept in better condition than the dealer had on in the lot. He'd taken her mother out on their first date in that car, had worked on it late into the night with her brother before he left home, had spent countless hours tinkering with and and tuning it. And then she notices that his extended bed full cab pickup truck isn't there either. Instead, there's a rather beat-up old Kia parked next to her new car. She can't find the words to ask, so he tells her. You know, it turns out that that old Mustang of mine was worth quite a lot to a collector, and I hardly ever drove it anyway. And how much hauling or off-roading do I do in a year anyway? I didn't really need that truck, and you needed a car. You're worth it to me. I love you that much. So Merry Christmas. Now, it is not hard to imagine the daughter in this situation telling her father that that is the greatest gift ever. Have you ever received such a gift? Such a great gift? You can hold off answering that for a bit. First, let's talk about what makes a gift great. It really starts with Need, not desire. A collector might talk about how he really needs the the ninth piece of a nine-piece set, but he really just wants it a lot. The daughter in our story needed a car. A single mother mired in poverty might need things as simple as groceries or clothing for her children. A great gift meets a great need. A great gift is also one that is given from the heart. 
A billionaire's donation to charity might do wonderful things for the people it serves, but if the only reason he writes that check is to get a tax write-off or good press, it's not that great a gift. The father in our story was moved to give by his deep love for his daughter. And he also dug deep to give to her which illustrates another thing that makes a great gift. Generosity. That doesn't necessarily mean that the gift is expensive, just that it costs the one who gives it. To a poor man, a $50 pair of sneakers for his brother might be a very generous gift. While for a rich man, a diamond necklace for his wife that hardly makes a dent in his bank account, might hardly be generous at all. So how does Christmas measure up? Does what God gave us in Bethlehem qualify as a great gift? Let's start with need. Did we need Jesus? Yes, desperately. We were lost in our sins, living in spiritual darkness and destined for hell because of the things that we had done and left undone. And there was nothing in our power to to do about it. God's demand of all people from the very beginning was to live holy lives in perfect alignment with His perfect will, but every one of us fails at that every day. And since the price of such failure... The wages of sin is death and hell. We, we were in an impossible spot. We needed forgiveness for our sins and, and perfect righteousness beyond that in order to live forever in God's presence. But we had no way of gaining it. Not through our works, not through our prayers, not through any pleas of sincerity, not through any attempts at bribery. Damnation was our destiny. So yes, we needed a Savior. And we still do, because we still sin. So clearly God's Christmas gift to us qualifies as great on the basis of our need. Was it heartfelt? Absolutely. You might have heard before a certain verse from John 3 that states it as clearly as it can be stated. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it is nothing other than love and compassion that the Lord has for us that for has for all people that that is responsible for his choosing to give us Jesus he wasn't bound to do this by duty we didn't earn or deserve it we we weren't even naturally lovable instead by nature as sinners we were hostile to him always intent on pleasing ourselves instead of him but god determined From the moment our first parents disobeyed, actually even before that, determined that He would provide a Savior for us. 
who would defeat Satan who tempted them and troubles us, who would pay the price for all of our sins, and who would conquer death so that we could live eternally with Him in heaven. This is grace. Grace upon grace, the undeserved love and favor of God for undeserving sinners. And grace is what moved him to act to save us when he had no other reason to act, when really justice required him to punish us for all of our offenses and rebellion against him, which is what makes his gift to us absolutely the most generous there is. Because what we needed and what love drove him to cost God His own Son, His only begotten Son. In order for the price of all the world's sins to be paid, blood needed to be shed, but no mere man's blood would satisfy. Only the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God in human flesh would be enough to take away our sins and give us the holiness that we were missing. And God willingly gave us that. His one and only Son. If you have children, you can imagine what it would be like to hand over your child to death. And even knowing it was for a good cause wouldn't make it in any way easy. But the Father... The Father was willing to separate Himself from the Son that had been with Him in perfect union and fellowship with Him and the Holy Spirit from all eternity, as as our reading from John earlier described. We, We often try to consider what it was like for Jesus as He suffered on the cross, what it was like to experience His heavenly Father's abandonment of Him and that eternal connection of love being severed. But what must it have been like for the Father to forsake His Son and then to watch without doing anything as He dies in agony upon the cross? Our salvation cost the Father dearly, just as it cost Jesus dearly. But it cost us nothing at all. It was and is and always will remain His gift to us. And it is truly the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift anyone will ever receive. We had no deeper need. It was prompted by the deepest love, and it came at the highest price. It is a gift for the world, but for every individual sinner, you and me, everyone we know and everyone we don't know. So what will we do? do with our Christmas gift? This baby boy, the Son of God and Son of Mary, wrapped up in swaddling cloths? Well, first, first we take God at His word about what it is and what it means. 
When Jesus was born and when he lived and ministered among his people, there were many, really most, of his fellow Jews who were disappointed with God's gift. Like the daughter in our story when when she saw only the tiny package under the tree. They figured that a great gift, like the one the Lord had long promised through his prophets, should be bigger, louder, bolder, a king with all the trappings of royalty, with riches and glory and power and victory on the battlefield. Someone to make Israel great again. And instead, what did they see? They saw a baby of humble birth laid in a manger, attended by shepherds, who grew up to be a humble carpenter, a traveling rabbi without a place to lay his head, attended by fishermen and tax collectors and sinners. And even today, many see Jesus the same way. The Bethlehem story and the stable are cute, they think, and the grown-up Christ's teachings are admirable. But they want to associate themselves with someone bigger, louder, bolder. They often find that someone in themselves, but whoever or whatever it might be, they just don't want Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we do. And so we gladly take hold of our Christmas gift. Just as the daughter in our story is not going to throw the car keys in the trash and keep taking the bus to work in college, we put God's gift to work for us in just the way He intended. We trust in Jesus and His work for our salvation and nothing and no one else. And having appreciated and made full and proper use of His most gracious gift, having taken God at His Word and believed what He told us and has given to us, we then also say thank you often and from the depths of our hearts. We sing our praises, we say our prayers, and we live our entire lives in worship and gratitude. But there is something more that Paul brings out in this verse from Romans. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things along with him? So what does that mean about this greatest gift God has given us? It means that all, that even though he has already given us his everything, We can and will and should trust Him for even more. Trust Him to protect us from our enemies, the devil, the sinful world, and our own sinful flesh. Trust Him to provide for us in good times and in bad. Trust Him to answer our prayers. Trust Him to give us joy and peace every day, not just when it's the season for such things. Trust Him to manage and direct all the affairs of the world so that we, Christ's church, His children, always end up blessed. Trust Him 
to comfort us when we grieve, strengthen us when we are weak, love us when we are lonely, and guide us when we need direction. There is so much more that we could say, which is pretty much the way it should be when when we have received the greatest gift in the history of giving. But for now, we say thanks to God. We say, come and see to those who do not yet know what they have been given in Christ at Christmas. There simply is no greater gift than Jesus. Amen. Please rise. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.